Welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks so much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. A really good conversation ahead this week on the podcast. Today, we're talking about charter schools in New York City, the growing and complicated and controversial and fascinating and in many ways successful sector of privately run public schools that now accounts for well over 10%, nearing 15% of New York City public school enrollment. Uh, New York City school enrollment has dipped a bit over the last few years. There may be some pandemic uh, adjustments to school enrollment that have affected things that we might see a, a correction to in the next year or two, but the growth in charter schools has continued. And we are going to talk today with James Merriman, the longtime CEO of the New York City Charter School Center. And we have a lot to get to with James. New York City charter schools now educate more than 140,000 students in the city in more than 270 schools. So a lot to dig into with James Merriman in just a second. If you've missed any recent episodes of the show, you can find them all at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. We have them all there. Recent guests have included New York City Comptroller Brad Lander. We caught up with him about his first six or so weeks on the job and his reaction to Mayor Eric Adams's initial preliminary budget and much more. A really interesting conversation with Comptroller Brad Lander recently. Also recently, a conversation with a couple of stakeholders in the growing cryptocurrency industry talking about what is cryptocurrency, why Mayor Adams wants New York City to be a center for the industry, some of the New York regulations at play, and some of the questions around cryptocurrency in New York and beyond. Also recently on the show, I've had some very interesting conversations with new city council members here in New York City who chair important committees. I gathered the three new chairs of the city council's committees on health, mental health, and hospitals for a discussion about their priorities taking over those committees. Obviously, they're important issues and committees anytime, but of course, particularly as we are still amid the COVID pandemic and trying to get through it. Uh, so that was a very interesting conversation with city council members, Lynn Shulman, Mercedes Narcisse, and Linda Lee. And at the state level, we've also had interesting conversations recently with state senators Liz Kruger and Jessica Ramos. We've been dealing with other issues on the show, not just cryptocurrency and not just charter schools like today, but we've also talked with experts and stakeholders and policymakers about New York's shift to clean energy, uh, affordable housing policy, policies related to untreated serious mental illness, uh, which has obviously been a major topic of discussion recently. We've seen Mayor Adams and Governor Kathy Hochul talking about new plans to try to help people suffering on the subways and in the streets and make uh, New York safer for everyone. So a lot of interesting conversations over the last few weeks and months. You can find all of those at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts or the Gotham Gazette website. All right, on to today's conversation. James Merriman is the longtime CEO of the New York City Charter School Center, which, according to its website, is the leading expert and proponent of New York City's charter school movement. They help New York City charter schools get started. They support existing schools to, to build and improve, and they help to garner political support so that charter schools can grow and succeed. And there is a lot to talk with James Merriman about. James, thanks so much for joining me. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, 
enjoy being on. So I, I gave a little snapshot uh, early in the introduction there that charter schools in New York City now educate close to 15% of New York City public school enrollment. The charter sector has been growing uh, year after year, while other public schools, the enrollment has actually been dipping in recent years, and there was a bit of a, a pandemic uh, dip that we'll see if it gets recorrected. But there's over 140,000 students in New York City charter schools, more than 270 charter schools in the city. But give us a little bit more flavor and color there in terms of what the New York City charter school sector looks like. Again, these are privately run public schools that have some different uh, rules attached to them and so forth. But when you want to give people a snapshot of the charter school sector in New York City, uh, what do you want people to know? What I want them to know is that they are public schools of choice and open to every student um, and that they're an alternative uh, that parents and children have the option to attend if they don't feel that uh, a district school is the right choice for them or that they have the right choice of district schools, which I think sometimes is more the issue. We've grown over now some 23 years. And as I try to remind people, of course we've grown in part because there's been an increased supply of schools, but as schools of choice, um, we've grown because parents are choosing them and they're happy with the education their students are getting. And that's why we you have such a, a robust sector in New York. I think the other things I want people to know is that um, these charter schools are, are such a wide and diverse array of schools. Obviously, we're sort of forced into a conversation which, which creates generalizations um, just by the nature of the conversation, right? Charter schools as, as a single thing. But it's, it's really important to remember there are very different kinds of schools. There are independent schools that have more a Montessori or project-based learning kind of model. Then there are more traditional charter schools. There are schools that are part of large, pretty sophisticated networks that have fully developed curriculum and new schools that are building out. There are schools for autistic children. There's a school that just opened in Staten Island for dyslexic uh, children. So it, it's, a, it's a very diverse array of schools with a diverse array of leaders, a diverse array of approaches, and a very diverse student body. Finally, I guess it's important to remember that charter schools as schools of choice really were created to give alternatives to those students who don't really have a choice in the public school, who are basically told that the district school in their neighborhood is the one they have to attend. And charter schools break that monopoly, if you will, and give uh, low-income folks the opportunity to choose in a way that middle-class people like myself take for granted, meaning if I'm not happy with what the district is providing, uh, I can either move around the district to another enrollment zone, or I can simply pack up and go to another district altogether. Mm. And as a result, we have 
80% of our students are low income, and that's what charter schools, that population is the population they were designed to serve. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have Mayor Eric Adams come into office, uh, new Department of Education Schools Chancellor David Banks come into office, and immediately after um, eight years of a, of a liberal, progressive, Democratic mayor, Bill de Blasio, you know, they're coming into office and saying, our schools uh, in many ways are failing. Uh, that especially for students of color, especially for Black and Latino students, uh, we're just getting terrible results for what we're investing and for what we're supposed to be doing for our children of the city. Uh, charter schools have become this sector, as you say, of choice for predominantly Black and Latino kids in the city and almost this uh, almost separate school system in many uh, communities where parents are uh, pursuing, as you noted, fleeing from the district schools that the new mayor and the chancellor and, and many others say are not providing an adequate education and pursuing these schools of choice. Charter schools, um, you know, you can sort of correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, the sort of vision, the mission has changed a little bit over time, where instead of being seen, and, and these sometimes critics of charter schools say that the, that the charter school sector was never supposed to grow this big, because it was supposed to be sort of, you know, a small laboratory of, of you know, experimentation and freed of the union contracts, which are obviously a, a big, big difference between district schools and almost all charter schools. There are some charters that have unionized um, workforces, but free of the union rules and more ability to experiment, free of some of the Department of Education regulations and so forth and laboratories, but have really become so much this alternative of, of choice. Speak a little bit about what you see there and why um, why charter schools have have be, been seen as such a lifeline for so many families and what the what the difference is between the district schools that are struggling so much that the the new mayor and the chancellor who are not huge charter school boosters and we'll we'll get to them in a minute but they're not you know, they're not coming into office talking about, you know, we really need to grow the charter school sector in a major way. They're supporters, but but in a, in a sort of middle ground. But they're coming in and saying, so many of these schools are failing our young people and we're going to improve them. But at the same time, we have this charter school sector that is serving so many of the same Black and Latino kids that the new mayor and chancellor are saying the city continues to fail. To talk about that dichotomy and what the difference really is that you see between the struggling district schools and what the charter schools are offering. Sure. Um, so let me first uh, underscore what you just said. Um, in kindergarten and first grade, of all Black students in public education, and there's a significant group that are in private education, but of all black students in kindergarten and first grade in public schools, 38% uh, of them are enrolled in public charter schools. That's a pretty astonishing figure. And it underscores, uh, as I said, exactly what you've said. They've become 
a much larger phenomenon than simply a kind of small lab over on the side to try a few interesting things and see if they've worked. And they've become that because as, as I think the mayor and as the chancellor have said and, and said, I think with utmost reluctance, but, but they've been honest about it. There are just too many schools that are not getting the job done uh, in the district. Um, and that doesn't mean, by the way, that there aren't charter schools uh, that equally are not getting the job done. There are uh, a decent number that aren't, um, but here's one of the differences. Over time, at least in design, those schools are going to close um, and they aren't going to be just allowed to keep on operating in the same way over and over and claim that they're getting better and improvement is just around the corner. Um, instead, those schools are shut down and the way it should work, but the way it isn't working now, because we don't have the ability to start new charters, I know we'll talk about that, um, uh, is, is unfortunately that we aren't able to start new schools. So, I think that's the underlying reason and, and parents see in these schools, they see uh, that the schools have a mission driven view that the children that they enroll need to reach certain benchmarks and see certain achievement if they're even to hope to participate fully in in our economic and social life uh, when they reach adulthood um, and that we can't make excuses for them not doing that and so i think that's in part what parents are drawn to they're drawn to uh, a sense of safety in the buildings and that is something we don't talk enough about um, because, again, I think sometimes we take it so much for granted uh, that our own uh, children's schools are safe that we just don't understand how important that is uh, because it's just a default in our world. But it isn't um, for many parents, unfortunately. And so safety is another issue. And, and the willingness to create a, a, a culture of achievement where achieving is viewed as a good thing um, and, and children aren't held down um, by, you know, a kind of philosophy that says until everyone succeeds, no one succeeds. Um, let's, let's dig a little deeper on the differences. Uh, how big a factor do you think it is for what charter schools are able to do when it comes to um, just resources. Uh, a lot of charter schools combine the public funding with private fundraising to a very significant degree, uh, or uh, the freedom from the teachers union contracts. Again, a lot of what we're talking about, there's pros, there's cons. Uh, you know, most of the conversation here, I, I, I really just want to hear your perspective as obviously a big charter school booster proponent, uh, leader in the expansion of the sector. But whether it's 
some of the issues around resources or the teacher contract or other things, there's, there's obviously always, um, you know, uh, other, other, other points to be made, but what, what are the, what are some of these, the biggest factors in doing what charter schools are able to do to attract parents away from district schools that would otherwise be the default? Um, how much is it resources? How much is it uh, just the school focus on school culture? How much is it the freedom from the, the teacher contract? I know you're not going to put numbers on these things, but what do you put it? What do you put at the top? What do you put at the top? Yeah, it's, it's, I know you have a laboratory there and you've, you've crunched all the data and it's 20% this and 20% that, but yeah. no, but, um, you know, I, I uh, recently, you know, success academy schools account for a, a pretty high percentage of charter schools. I think there's something close to 50 success schools, which is obviously, um, you know, pretty significant percentage of your 270 plus. Um, yep. And I recently, you know, listed they're they're obviously the most high profile, the largest uh, successes founder and CEO, Eva Moskowitz, has been a, a lightning rod. We're not going to go into everything around success and, and her. Um, I can talk to her about those things, hopefully, if she's willing to be interviewed. But I, I did hear an interview she recently did. And one of the first things she pointed to was charter schools freedom from the union contract and union rules around teachers and how much that dictates what happens in school buildings. How much do you point to that as a major factor in what charter schools do? And are there downsides to that that are not talked about enough in terms of um, what some statistics have shown to be a, a pretty serious issue with teacher retention at charter schools? Yep. Um, so I do think um, that the ability to work with teachers directly and not be hampered by a large union that is running or overseeing all of its members, you know, in a large organization and a bureaucratic organization, and which has managed over time to create a collective bargaining agreement that literally rules every second of every day. Um, and I think what people don't understand about that is that there are some schools with very strong leadership and principles that the union leaves alone um, and knows well enough not to get into fights with those principles. Um, and there the principal has more authority and more ability to command the team of teachers to row in the same direction. But then there are schools where I truly believe the chapter leader uh, of the UFT is the de facto leader of the school um, and yet has no accountability for actually getting any achievement results uh, for the children. So the ability to, to hire the team you want and then occasionally, yes, fire those uh, teachers who don't work out, I think is critically important to success. It's not the only factor. Being able not to have to run one way or the other every time uh, a new superintendent uh, strolls into town and decides that this program or that program is the be all and end all. 
And suddenly, even in schools that are already working, uh, the superintendent, you know, liked this program when they were principal and it worked. So all schools are going to have this program. Um, equally, having control of their budget um, in a way that uh, an individual school does not, but is always subject to Tweed's uh, potential and actual interference matters a lot. Now, you mentioned uh, private philanthropic funding. And again, you know, to speak about the sector as a whole is always dangerous um, because there are going to be counter exceptions. But I will say this, that increasingly most of the philanthropic funding has gone towards expansion uh, of charter schools uh, and not to operating funding. Um, and, and that's in part because the truth is that New York State and New York City fund uh, our public schools quite generously, right? We are, as the former governor used to like to point out, and I think the present governor likes to point out, you know, the state that has the highest average per pupil expenditure of any state in the union. Uh, and look, uh, that money's critical. No one, you know, I, I, I tramp around the halls of Albany when, when one did that. Uh, before COVID, you know, asking for parity and funding for charters. So you will not hear me say money doesn't matter and you won't hear school leaders say it does, but their ability to deploy it is important. Now, as you said, are, are there downsides or trade-offs? Um, there's a trade-off to everything in life. That's maybe the only piece of wisdom, you know, that gets hammered into your head as you get older and older, that there's just nothing you do without a trade-off. Um, and, and, you know, I've known charter leaders who, for instance, absolutely uh, did not like the freedom they had um, to set salaries. They, they thought it was a, an enormous drain and waste of time um, and they would much rather have had the UFT and whoever work out what they should pay teachers. Um, and, um, and there is also sometimes, you know, there has been high teacher attrition rates documented in charter schools. Um, though once you start comparing them to attrition rates of low performing district schools, um, you know, low income children experience a lot of teacher turnover, whether in the district or charters. So there are definitely trade-offs to all of this, but that's kind of the point in that parents can choose what they like as the outcome of those trade-offs because they don't have to attend a charter school. They can, you know, as, as we've said, decide that a charter school isn't for them. Um, and instead, uh, they're going to put their kids in district schools, and obviously some 900,000 uh, folks are in district schools, and a lot of parents have made that affirmative mm -hmm. choice. Charter school or not charter school, from doing this work, uh, you've been CEO of the New York City Charter School Center for about 14 years now, um, doing this work for this long uh, being in schools regularly, obviously talking with school leaders all the time, um, 
reviewing literature, you name it. Are there, is there a top one or two things that when, when you are thinking about talking about what makes running, how how to, how to really run a school well, what those top one or two things are, and that you think charter schools in New York city really do exceptionally well. Is it about having a really uh, dynamic, strong, thoughtful principal who has a really strong vision and implements it? Or is there something, something, something else? Now, um, that's it. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's so much school leadership, um, uh, which is so important to attracting talented teachers and retaining teachers. And, and it is the, it is the, it is the scary part of public education um, when we understand uh, that we face a terrible uh, shortage of high quality leaders. And I think that's true, whether we are in uh, talking district schools or charter schools, um, there just aren't enough of them. Uh, no matter how talented a group of teachers you may have, um, I think most teachers would agree they need a great leader to bind them together in a common mission. And the schools that have worked um, have both had a focus on student achievement, uh, a willingness to try to figure out how to create a culture where that's allowed to flourish, uh, and then how to make sure that they have uh, in their team uh, a great group of teachers who are committed to that vision and, and willing and agree to row in the same direction. Um, and that's something charters can do better than many district schools where because uh, of the union contract in part, a teacher can simply say, yeah, I don't really buy into your mission, tough luck. Um, and even having a few teachers who don't uh, it can really set a school off off what it's trying to get done um, because they simply won't be part of the school community. Um, if we have time, maybe come back to some, some of what you said already, but I, I do want to get to a few other pieces of the, the larger puzzle here. Um, as you mentioned, there's a state cap on charter schools, uh, the charters that can be issued to people who apply to start a school, uh, the the sub cap for New York City of, uh, what is it, roughly 290 um, has been hit. There are no new charters available to start a new charter school in New York City from the issuing authorities. State law would have to uh, be amended in some way for, for new charters to be uh, allowed to be issued. Uh, Mayor Adams is among those who have called for at least something of an initial sort of middle ground solution, which is that the charters uh, that could be potentially reissued for those that have been previously issued but revoked or surrendered or charter schools that opened have closed in some way could be reissued. Uh, and, And I don't know the exact number on those, but that's somewhere in the 20 neighborhood, right? Um, 20. So Say it again. 21. 21. All right. So the 21 so-called zombie charters to reissue those and 21 new charter schools could be allowed to open in the coming 
couple of years, uh, depending on when those charters would be issued. Uh, the political climate around raising the charter school cap seems very unlikely to move in your favor. The question around these zombie charters being reissued, there seems to maybe be a compromise to be reached there. What's the sort of political landscape from your viewpoint on that? Um, the, the state legislature seems to me to, to not really want to deal with the issue. The mayor ha- did not come out as a major you know, push to lift the cap, but he did very assertively say when asked during his Albany testimony that he thinks the zombie charters should be reissued. Governor Kathy Hochul has seemed to stay away from this issue completely so far. So what's the landscape on this and what are you what are you hoping to see? Yeah, I mean, I wish I could say you you had that all wrong, <laughs> um, but I can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the landscape, it, it, it's tough out there. Um, and, you know, the, the we need to persuade more folks in Albany in both the Assembly and the Senate, uh, that this is worth doing. Obviously, um, we're gratified that the mayor has come out uh, in the first instance and said that, you know, we should do this common sense, easy step, and it is easy, of of allowing 21 more uh, charter schools uh, that come from these charters that were issued and then the charters were revoked and they're just sitting there Um, and could be used again if there was a change in state law. It'd be great to see because we have groups of educators and social service agencies um, that are really looking and ready uh, to open new schools. So we hope between the mayor's advocacy, our advocacy, uh, which we've been building friends in, in both houses of the state assembly, uh, we can get that through uh, and then start start talking about a larger lift, um, including one that made sure that we were prioritizing starting new schools uh, that were led by um, folks of color, uh, which we think is an important uh, component of any large cap lift. Um, and we want to see an equity component in everything we do, frankly. Just but, briefly on that, is there any, is there also a discussion around uh, sort of ensuring that new issued charters go to more sort of independent operators and not to increase the larger charter networks? Is that, is that anywhere in the discussion? Because uh, as you I know- think so much that, Ben, as, as it's making sure that if there are new um, networks, uh, that they are led by leaders of color, uh, which, by the way, is 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 certainly happening on its own. Uh, there are any number now of networks that are led by leaders of color. Um, you know, I can think of three or five right off the bat. So I think it's making sure that we have uh, schools that reflect as much as possible uh, the the diversity of the students in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I'll be honest, we have a lot more friends in private than we do in public, but the union has made clear to members and isn't shy about calling them up and yelling at them, uh, to get on board or get primaried, 
um, uh, or potentially get primaried, that a vote uh, in favor of charters uh, is considered an enemy act on, on the part of the legislator. Uh, that's a pretty tough call to take. And legislators will say to us, well, can you assure that parents uh, will come out and vote for me uh, if I do? And, and to be honest, you know, while we have 140,000 folks in charters, those folks, uh, you know, are already in schools. So they don't see this as, as controversial and something they need to fight for. Um, it's, it is, so we're just not, we don't have the kind of political heft and the kind of money uh, and organization that the UFT has. Mm -hmm. Now, um, understanding that, that landscape, I don't have that much verification myself on, on those calls taking place, but it obviously there's a lot of political organizing by the, by the UFT and, and others to, um, to fight against a, an increase in the charter cap. But, but even all that being said, there are thoughtful legislators uh, who have other issues with the idea of expanding charter schools. There's questions around whether charters, you know, really, uh, enroll representative uh, student groups, you know, you still have to uh, have parents who seek out the, the charter schools. Um, there's, there's often issues with student retention at some charter schools. That's obviously been a big question about some, the success academy schools and, you know, discipline practices and other things. There's, there's still these big wait lists. So there's obviously lots of parents who, who still want spots in charters, but there's also a lot of uh, there's parents, there's legislators, there's advocates, there's others who see uh, other reasons than just calls from the teachers union, uh, who obviously for for their own uh, reasons, uh, charters mostly not being unionized, have their own uh, reasons for for not seeking uh, seeing expansion of charter schools. But there's other concerns as well. And uh, you, I, would, I, I readily admit it. I mean, I, yes. It, and you, right. Nice. No, I was just going to say, you've been one it to would be acknowledge nice these things. To actually, <laughs> you know, it would be uh -huh. nice would be to have those conversations. Yes. But, uh, I don't, maybe it would surprise you and maybe it wouldn't. I don't think it would surprise you to know that the number of substantive conversations uh, that we've had with legislators um you know, is very, very few. People won't um, even it, take meetings with you. Well, no, I mean, it's, it's, folks will take a meeting with us, say, yeah, I just can't be supportive. And you mm -hmm. say, well, are there things that could get you there? And when it gets right down to it, it's, you know, you should get complete state funding from the state. Um, no matter how many kids uh, you educate and how many fewer kids the district educates. And then number two, you just need to be unionized. But so that, that, that leads to quite an impasse. That said, yeah. your point is a good one. And, and I don't object to it in any way that, that there are real issues uh, that need to be, uh, you know, that can be and should be talked about. And there are, you know, in my view, reasonable reasons why people are on the other side of the debate. Mm -hmm. I disagree with them, but yeah. they're not crazy. 
why aren't there more public hearings on this issue? Why? I mean, is it is it basically because nobody really wants to have these conversations in public? Why? Why don't we see the state legislature hold more hearings on whether the charter school cap should be lifted for New York City or even whether the zombie charter should be reissued? Um, is that something you and the sector would welcome? Would um, you know, would Eva Moskowitz and other leaders of the biggest networks, as well as the independent leaders of, of some of the, you know, one-offs and the smaller uh, groups of charters, would, would they readily testify? Um, is, is that really just about the legislature taking that on? Well, I, I, let's not confuse substantive and public, mm -hmm. um, because I think as you often see in, in public hearings, um, unfortunately, that isn't when people are having thoughtful, nuanced discussions. Instead, too often, and I'm sure legislators feel the same way, they're forced to offer their talking points. Uh, the advocates are forced to offer their talking points on either side, and no one has moved uh, a whip in terms of conversations. I think the conversations that are needed are, are those that you have uh, quietly in folks' offices and where you really dig into the data uh, and look at various options. So if you're talking about how charters are funded, you need some people who know exactly how school funding works, and then you'd need to have you know, the ability to run various scenarios and look at them and see what the cost is and what the cost benefit of each of them is. Mm -hmm. And that's what hasn't really happened and may not happen with other issues as well. I wouldn't be surprised if that were true. Sure, sure. And uh, as much as I, I will readily acknowledge the importance of those conversations, I, I do, as someone who covers lots of these hearings, I do have faith in public hearings for some value, even if they are often not places where people show any type of change of opinion. Getting some of this stuff out into public, you know, especially at um, at the state legislature, where very often you do have uh, you know, a, a, a pretty good variance of opinion and thoughts from different legislators from around the state, even from within the city, you get, you know, some variation, um, you know, they get to ask their questions and, uh, and put some things on the record out in public that then gets covered by the press and so forth. So I, I, you know, I, I'm for more, uh, I'm for more public hearings on some of these issues that just don't get enough public conversation, but your, but your point is taken on the private discussions that can be more substantive as well. And, and we would, of course, welcome if, if people wanted to have hearings on the cap, we'd be happy to have those hearings and show up and talk about uh, the reasons we think the cap should be lifted. Any sense of why the governor is is has sort of kept this issue seemingly at arm's length? Is it is it because she's obviously very quickly here facing an election and doesn't necessarily want to wade into this very charged debate and obviously wouldn't want the you know teachers unions to to quickly oppose her if she was supportive of the cap or maybe she just not a charter school uh, proponent uh, any sense of her politics on this um I'll, I'll let i'll let the governor speak for herself on her politics mm -hmm. um but i i do think that um it's incumbent upon us uh to build support in the legislature mm -hmm. 
obviously had a, a, a very friendly former governor and Governor Cuomo, who, who was a, a charter school proponent. He, he sort of backed off in the last couple of years as, as things in the legislature shifted more against you. Um, uh, but, but it's interesting to see or, or not see Governor Hochul get into the mix here. And we'll, we'll ask her office, yeah. of course, and we'll, we'll ask her. If, uh, she'll come back on the show. Um, I'm talking with James Merriman, the CEO of the New York City Charter School Center. Uh, last couple of minutes here with with James, and thank you for the for the time as always. Um, what do you see? You know, there, there's maybe maybe we've had this with you in the past. I don't recall if you said this, but you know, there's some people involved in the charter school sector who, in some in some conversations, will maybe half jokingly, maybe maybe not jokingly at all, say things like. I wish the charter school sector didn't need to grow anymore. I wish the district schools were better and, and people weren't clamoring for charter school seats the way they are. Um, from your vantage point, are there a couple of very big changes to the way that New York City public schools are run that could drastically improve uh, district schools given obviously the the teachers union and the teachers contract is you know is can be renegotiated in certain ways but that's not going anywhere new york city public schools are not about to become completely ununionized and i'm not saying that would be a good thing but obviously that change is not happening but are there a couple of of major things you think would go a long way to really helping the district schools improve uh, drastically People point to the idea of, of changing admission policies more uh, aggressively than they have been, although they've been changing some to, to further integrate schools. And therefore, you know, integration is proven to, to show that it, you know, helps uh, lift all boats, so to speak, um, and also would help, you know, bring more resources to certain under-resourced schools. Is that something that, from your vantage point, is a winning uh, issue for the new mayor and chancellor? Are there other things that you think on a, on a big level from the new mayor and chancellor would really help improve the school system? Well, I, I think the chancellor's on target when he says, uh, let's look at what has worked and see if we can grow it uh, and scale it more than it's been scaled. So I think that's one thing. Um, and uh, I think that's where they're going as well. Um, and that means working with the charter sector probably um, on some initiatives. Um, I know that uh, uh, there are some charters that have been working with the district ever since uh, Chancellor Farina came in and actually turned out to be a lot more friendly towards um, what was going on in charters once she saw them than I think she would have ever imagined mm -hmm. when she started. She, she really found a lot of the practices around teacher feedback um, or, or getting kids ready for college and helping and supporting them uh, to and through college. Uh, she found helpful and worked with some charters on that. Uh, look, I'm not an educator, so I really, really uh, get, uh, uh, you know, I don't like talking about it because um, I don't like amateurism um, mm -hmm. when it comes to this. I do think that the, the, the move towards a, a, a science of reading um, and, and towards explicit phonics instruction and then providing 
content-rich uh, curriculum to kids uh, will pay off if it's done in a very focused way. And I think, again, the chancellor is looking uh, to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Last couple of questions. Um, are there are there one or two policy levers that the new mayor and chancellor can really pull that are separate from the charter school cap, which is obviously going to be determined at the state level? The mayor, the chancellor could advocate more for the reissuing of the zombie charters, could, could advocate more for the lifting of the cap, but they can't control that. Are there things they can control that you're advocating for coming from City Hall or Tweed, where the Department of Education is? Um, I think it's providing um, uh, principals as much uh, autonomy as they can. I happen to believe that that worked um, uh, during the uh, Klein and Walcott years and you know, during Bloomberg's terms in office. Um, I think principals need to be clearly in charge um, and those who have shown that they can succeed should be given even greater autonomy. That is a kind of charter-like um, quality that I think works, um, and I think there should there needs to be a refocus on student achievement. Now, obviously, with COVID, we haven't had state assessments. Uh, the regions have been, you know, either canceled or, or given in different ways. Um, it is time to go back uh, to looking at achievement, and if we don't. Um, we are not going to see increases in achievement. A lot to unpack there about what achievement is and how it's measured, but we'll hold off on that for another time. Um, Fair last, enough. Last question for now. Uh, in the wake of, of a lot of controversy around um, the Success Academy schools and uh, and some of the other charter networks, there was a lot of discussion around um so-called no excuses discipline. There was a lot of reverberations throughout the charter school world on questions around discipline policies, how often suspensions of students are used, are schools, you know, trying to uh, push kids out through the use of suspensions and so forth. Has there been a, a real reckoning on that or did that sort of subside where I, and again, I know it's very challenging success Academy is, is very different than just about all of the other charter schools, but uh, throughout the sector from your vantage point, has there been a reckoning on that? Has there been uh, significant adjustments at some schools or was there a determination that only some slight tweaks were needed and, and every, and this is part of the, sort of school culture at many schools that is part of the the formula for success? Um, I guess my answer is yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes to all of those things. Mm -hmm. I think there has been a reckoning at at many schools um, and and folks want to make sure that the program they're offering meets children where they're at. Um, so you've seen changes in discipline policies. You've seen changes in how they try to build school culture uh, at some schools. But equally, at the same time, I think a lot of folks also recognize that if you don't create a, 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 a culture of discipline in some way or another, however, and obviously, right, what that means, just like student achievement, is a complex issue. 
but that if you don't create a sense of safety and security in the building, you are not doing uh, the vast majority of students or any student for that matter, any favors. And I hear these discussions played out um, sometimes in Albany, but uh, you know, what I hear from lawmakers is, is a plea uh, to the New York City uh, school system that they create building culture where students feel safe and are safe um, and learning can flourish. So this is a really difficult issue. Um, charters, I think, are trying to figure out what the right balance is. Um, and I think the districts in, in a conversation where, boy, you have parents on both sides of that debate. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, James, any, any last thing that uh, you want to leave our listeners with? Is there anything I didn't get to? I, there's, there's a, I'm looking at my, my notes and my preparation here. There's several things on my list, but anything, anything I didn't get to that you want to uh, make a quick comment on? I didn't talk about, you know, school co-locations and issues around that uh, and a few Darn. other things. I, yes, I exactly. Right. <laughs> I love the co-location yes. issue. Um, uh, your divisiveness upon divisiveness. Yes, um, yes. Um, no, I, I think the only thing, you know, I want folks to do is to go visit uh, charter schools. They're open leaders love having visitors, at least most of them, um, and they love talking about what they do. Um, so please, before you make up your mind, um, go out and uh, talk to some of the charter schools in your neighborhoods and see what they're about. Mm -hmm. It's just New Yorkers educating New Yorkers uh, in the same way as in district schools when it comes right down to it. And in, and in my final thought, I'll, I'll add another encouragement for some more public hearings on, on a lot of this, because we, we covered a lot here in, in about 45 minutes, but, um, but we didn't get to dig in on, on some of the issues we just touched on. There's a lot more to a lot of them, and obviously um, always important for, for policymakers to, to consider a lot of this. But James, I appreciate um, you know that you're that you're willing to come on uh, with me and and obviously uh, other other programs and and talk about these issues with nuance and uh, and that's obviously very important with any uh, policy conversation, but especially in education. So thanks for the time and, and thoughtful conversation, and, and we'll catch up more down the road. Ben, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Mm -hmm.